the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hey, everybody. Hi, listeners. Here we are. Back again. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, happy to be with you today. Um, I was just looking at your bookshelf and we are sitting here in my office that's right. actually I was looking at a bunch of your bookshelves but there's one that's like a whole shelf of books either written by or about somebody you kind of like which is pope john paul ii yes yeah so i was just thinking like not that you have to give account how many books you've read about him but because that would be too many uh but do you have a, a favorite a favorite about him yeah Oh, wow. I mean, in terms of biographies, George Weigel gave us the definitive yeah. biography, Witness to Hope. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, and I devoured it pretty quickly. When it came out 20 years ago already, mm -hmm. it came out. But there's a, a book written by one of his students who became a professor of mine uh -huh. at the JP2 Institute. And his name is Stanislaw Griegel. And he wrote this book, Discovering the Human Person in conversation with John Paul II. Oh, and, what a great title. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's brilliant. And I'm just pulling off my shelf here. Page 48, just kind of random. I have an O, ah, star, underline, underline. So it must be good. Let's see what it says. <laughs> Wisdom transfigures people astonished by the beautiful. People who follow the path traced out by it and who wait for that of which this beauty is the promise. Okay, what is, what's he getting at here? He's saying that the human heart is attracted to what is beautiful and that beauty holds out this promise, small b beauty, the beauty mm -hmm. of the created world, holds out a promise of a beauty that lasts forever, capital B beauty. Yeah, That's JP2's whole theology of the body in a nutshell. It's the idea that the beauty of this world and at the, the culmination of created beauty is male and female. He created them and he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. That's really cool. Yeah. So the, the culmination of created beauty, what you love in a waterfall, what you love in a flower, what you love in a sunset culminates a whole created physical world culminates in the human being, male and female. And that beauty which ravishes the heart, as it says in the Song of Songs, right? Wendy, my sister, my bride, you have ravished my heart. Mm. You have ravished my heart with one glance of your eyes. That ravishing of the human heart by beauty, it's a promise that that beauty will last forever. And that's, that's really, that's, I didn't, you know, just pulled it out of, off the shelf yeah. and opened to that random page. But it really is a great summary. So Stanislaw Griegel's book, Discovering the Human Person in Conversation with JP2. If I had to pick probably one of my favorite books uh, about JP2's teaching, it yeah, would probably be that. Yeah, that's awesome. I felt so honored to study under Griegel yeah. uh, myself. My gosh, what a gift. I'm sure many of our listeners would love to read that book. Yeah, so. it's worth it. I'm so glad you shared that. I'm so glad you asked. What else is going on with the 2B Institute? Well, we have the Congress uh, is coming up. That's the final weekend of October, October 30th to November mm -hmm. 1st. Uh, we have a link for you to learn more about that and sign up for that. We have 
the TOB1 online from November 3rd to the 13th. Uh, if you've ever wanted to come to Pennsylvania to take that course and just couldn't do it, now you have the opportunity to take it online. You can learn more about that through the link as well. So those, those are things that are going on that are on my mind. Yeah, great. I'm so excited for that Congress. Shall I jump into some yeah, questions? let's do it. So a question, something that's not very familiar to all of our listeners, but they maybe heard it referenced and said, wait, what is that? Is the idea of consecrated virginity. So, so what is it? And how is it different from other like vocations? Yeah, it has an ancient tradition in Christianity. And, and here we're not just talking about um, the celibate vocation, like a celibate priest. But we're speaking, when we speak, when we use those words, and if this is what people are really asking about yeah. consecrated virginity specifically, mm -hmm. we're talking about women who consecrate themselves as the bride of Christ. Mm -hmm. And this becomes their lifelong vocation to be bride of Christ. And it's not, um, typically it's not in a, you know, a religious institution where they wear a habit, but they typically live in the secular world, um, but they have dedicated themselves whole and entire yeah. as the bride of Christ. Why would anyone do this? Yeah. Maybe that's the deeper question. Absolutely. I think it's an important question. It is. It's it's critical. And if we don't understand virginity, I'm, I'm doing a little thing with my hands for those who are listening and not seeing this on our YouTube. And by the way, on that note, we should mention that videos of our podcast of certain questions are available on YouTube. So if you're just listening to our podcast, yeah. make sure you check out the YouTube channel, Christopher West on YouTube. Anyway, that's a side issue. So I'm putting my hands together and I'm, I'm saying if we don't understand the relationship between virginity and our creation as male and female. So let's put it this way, virginity and sexuality. And I don't mean here virginity and sexual activity, but virginity and our sexual being. Mm -hmm. We are created male and female. Virginity is not a rejection of our sexuality. Virginity, understood from the Christian perspective, is the ultimate fulfillment of sexuality. Mm. Because sexuality properly understood from the Christian point of view, is a sign of something transcendent. Here we're back to the basic principle, theology of the body. Right. Our bodies are not only biological, our bodies are theological. They point us to something divine. Our bodies tell the divine story. What is the divine story? The divine story, in a nutshell, I never tire of saying it, if you're a faithful podcast listener, you've probably heard me say this already three dozen times in our nearly 100 episodes of this podcast. God wants to marry us. That's the divine story. From beginning to end, this is what the Bible proclaims. Yeah. God wants to enter into this covenant relationship with his people, and that covenant is a marital covenant. God is the bridegroom. We are the bride. The ultimate destiny, the ultimate purpose of human existence is to exist forever in this marriage between Christ and his church, which that marriage grafts us into the eternal exchange of the ecstasy that is the Trinity. This is our destiny. This is why we exist. And God wanted this eternal marital story to be so plain to us, so obvious to us. 
He chiseled an image of it right in our bodies mm -hmm. by making us male and female. So that's sexuality, maleness, femaleness, sexual union. What is sexual union? It is the earthly fulfillment of our being created male and female. Yes. Earthly fulfillment. But the earth is not, what we have in this earth is not the whole story. St. Paul, in this brilliant synthesis, uh, that's the word John Paul II uses, he calls it a magnificent synthesis, uh -huh. shows us the earthly reality as the sign of the heavenly reality in Ephesians chapter 5, when he says, and I never tire of quoting this, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. There's a natural earthly reason, human communion, of course the propagation of the human race, that's all beautiful and natural, but there's a supernatural reality. It points to something beyond. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two will become one flesh. For what reason? St. Paul tells us this is a great mystery, and it refers to Christ and the church. The consecrated virgin recognizes and rejoices in that stupendous, beautiful vision of human sexuality. And through a particular calling that she feels, she says, I want to open myself here and now with my whole being, body and soul, to that eternal marriage. And in this way, she, she skips the sign of marriage uh, that points us to the ultimate reality. She says, I devote myself to that ultimate reality here and now. So consecrated virginity. Um, virginity, you know, the way we understand that word in our culture today is so negative. Uh, it, it's like the virgins are missing out. Mm. When we understand what the consecrated virgin has chosen, which is the eternal marriage, then we realize she has lost nothing and gained everything. Mm -hmm. And she becomes a sign to the whole world of our ultimate destiny. Uh, the most famous consecrated virgin of all of history is, of course, the Blessed Mother. I was thinking about her. Yeah. Because really, growing up, I did not even realize that her virginity had been consecrated to the Lord before the angel came to her at the Annunciation. I think I thought of it as a response mm -hmm. to the Incarnation right. that she dedicated her virginity to the Lord. But but I learned that that's actually not the full yeah, tradition. Yeah, there's a deep tradition that she had consecrated her virginity to the Lord at a very young age. Uh -huh. And that really does make sense out of that passage in Scripture. If you yes. If you... Go in there with that understanding, gee, things start to get illuminated. For example, if Mary was planning on having sexual relations in her marriage with Joseph, why would she ask, how's this going to happen? Right. When the angel said, you'll conceive. You'll conceive. Well, yeah. she's already a married woman. And in the Jewish tradition, there's a period of the marriage early on where they didn't live together. So she wasn't living with Joseph yet, but she was already his wife. And if this was going to be a normal marriage and an angel showed up and said, hey, you're going to have a baby no surprise. Right. You're getting married. That's what married women typically do. They have babies. Right. But the fact that she says, how will this happen mm -hmm. is an indication 
that confirms that tradition in the church that she was already consecrated. She had already consecrated her virginity. She had already a deep intuition that she was meant to be this sign to the world of marriage to God. Mm -hmm. And what we see also in Mary's virginity, which is so important, is virginity is not a negation of sexuality. Sexuality is a fertile opening. And that, that line, that word fertile is very important here. Sexuality is meant to be a fertile opening to God. And that's true for you and me as a married couple. That's what our sexuality is meant to be, mm -hmm. a fertile opening to God. Uh, when we come together and we surrender our bodies to one another and we open our bodies to the Lord and giver of life, mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord and giver of life, we surrender our fertility to the Lord. That becomes your, our marriage, our union becomes an opening between heaven and earth that allows the eternal life-giving power of God to enter this world through our bodies. Yes. And we have five kids as a result, which is absolutely astounding. We just, if you, if you just think of that on the biological level, it's still pretty dang awesome, sperm meeting and egg, egg and all that stuff. But you look back at generation after generation after generation, and, and you think, you know, if you're just looking at 500 million sperm and one egg, and, and only the one sperm gets there, creates the child, I mean, it's astounding, but your your biological conclusion, if that's all you're seeing, is your existence, Wendy, and mine is the end result of random meaninglessness. But when you see sperm and egg theologically as this opening to transcendence, as this opening to the divine, then you see theologically the loving hand of God guiding all those sperm throughout all of human history so that you would exist, so that I would exist, so that our offspring would exist, so that the world would be what the world is. Everyone who exists, God wanted to exist. You are not the end result of random meaningless. You are the end result of a father's love, the eternal father's mm -hmm. love. So that's what sexuality is meant to be. And Mary's virginity, seen in this way, again, it's not a negation. It's the ultimate fulfillment because sexuality is meant to point to the life-giving fatherhood of God. And that's exactly what Mary's virginity does in an extraordinary way. She conceives the one who was eternally generated by the Father. That's the fulfillment. Sexuality is all about Jesus. Hmm. If that's shocking to people, if that's radical to people, if that's confusing to people, uh, we'll dig in and, and look look to understand it more. This is what theology of the body is. Everything is created for, through, and in Jesus Christ. And everything is a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. The one flesh union is a great mystery, Paul tells us. And it refers to Jesus. It refers to Christ and his church. The sacrament of marriage is one way of living that. Consecrated virginity is another way of living the same mystery. And when we say consecrated virginity, I think as a true vocation in the church, then we're talking about people who've actually made a commitment for their life to remain in that virgin state and to dedicate their lives to serving Christ in some way. In some way. And it may be um, in and through some kind of ministry to the church, but it may be working as a nurse. It may be working as mm -hmm. a 
a lawyer. It may be working as a, you know, it could be any number of things. Right. I want to pull off my shelf here a quote from St. Flora. She was martyred in 851. She summarizes this call of the Virgin very well. She says, I have promised the Lord alone my body that I might delight in his bridal bed someday. Mm. There it is. We see it's not a negation of the communion we're called to. Mm -hmm. What is the communion we're called to? The ultimate communion we're called to is the communion of Christ and the church. Marriage is beautiful and wonderful as it is. It's just the glimmer of the ultimate reality for which we are destined. Let's distinguish here, as Jesus does, between the wise virgins and the unwise virgins, Mm -hmm. right? This is very important. The unwise virgins, sadly, they make more of the headlines and they kind of form our impressions of virginity. (laughs) The unwise virgins have no oil for their lamps. Their hearts are cold and they approach their virginity with, with a kind of cold, stoic repression of that fire of desire that is part of our humanity. But the wise virgins, they have oil for their lamps, which means their hearts are lit on fire and their eros is aimed at the infinite. Mm. That's consecrated virginity at its best. Mm. If there are any consecrated virgins out there whose lamps are dim and hearts are cold and you have thought that uh, the virginal vocation is somehow a repression of eros, of that yearning and fire, the true Christian vision is that virginity, consecrated virginity, is eros aimed at the infinite. And that's what we're all meant to do. We're all meant to aim eros at the infinite. Eros is a desire in the heart for the infinite. That's what it is. And Pope Benedict XVI says, this brings us to the very heart of what Christianity is. Christianity is the promise that that yearning for the infinite will not go unanswered. And so that's what the consecrated virgin witnesses to. What you just said is so beautiful. There's there's a follow-up question that um, just to add a little more detail. Sure. How does one discern that she's called to consecrated virginity? Well, gosh, I'd rather have someone who's a consecrated virgin okay. answer that question. I'm not. Yes. No, you are not. <laughs> and I'm glad you're not. Okay. Me too. Um, <laughs> Works out well for us. Um, but I mean, I can offer some things in general, some thoughts. But it really and truly, we should we should ask that of a, a consecrated virgin and have somebody who's gone through it and experienced it to witness to that. But I, I could answer it in this light. How, do, how does anyone discern his or her vocation? With so many things, begin with your desires. Mm-hmm. What are your real desires? Not that our, our desires are entirely trustworthy. Oftentimes they're misguided and riddled with selfishness and we're in need of purification. But we have general dispositions in life. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a time, you, you can, I would say, trust pretty well if your general disposition is toward married life, then probably that's what the Lord's going to be calling you to. If you had a real calling to be a consecrated virgin, the Lord is going to put that desire on your heart. Mm-hmm. He's not going to have you go in that direction screaming in, in mm. 
rebellion uh, or rebelling against it, I guess is what I wanted to say. Not that there won't be resistances to it, perhaps, but get in touch with your desires, learn listening prayer. What do I mean by listening prayer? Prayer is meant to be, John Paul II says, a dialogue yeah. of love. And I know for a long time in my own life, prayer was usually a monologue, and I was doing the, the talking. I was making the noise. Can I just share a little funny sure, quote please. about that? I read recently an author who said, you know, we can come to prayer saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. But more often we come saying, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. speaking. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Listening prayer means learning stillness, learning to be at peace in quietness. And that's scary. We kind of get jittery. We want to distract ourselves. We want to read something. We want to pray a rosary, which is oh, that's fine and good. Pray a rosary, but but learn listening prayer in stillness. Learn how to discern how the Lord speaks to your heart. The Lord speaks the language of your heart. Um, I learned with the help of my spiritual director that the language of my heart is a lot of times music or. Uh, memories or movies or smells or and and I'm not perfect at it but I have learned okay I think that's the Lord speaking to my heart mm -hmm. listening prayer learn to learn to hear the Lord speaking to you it's critical for us to discern these kind of vocations I'd also say what are your natural gifts what are your natural dispositions I remember somebody came to a talk of mine years ago and said Christopher you you preach the gospel with conviction. You should have been a priest. And I said, no, no, I should not have been. I really discerned that. And I, it was very clear that my calling, my vocation was marriage. So I rejoice in that. We should rejoice in the vocations that we're given because those are the, whatever we're given, that's the path for us yes. to reach holiness. And when a person actually takes a vow of consecrated virginity there's actually a process within i think it's diocesan based oh yes 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 where, yeah we should clear yeah clarify that That's where important. she would um have a beautiful mass of consecration with her bishop and the bishop's office of religious life would actually have a, a person that you would contact when right. you are right. you know really pursuing this vocation to meet with and to help with that that discernment process and the preparation for taking that vow of consecrated virginity. And we have had the great privilege of being present for yeah. a friend of ours, well known to many of our listeners, Jen Settle. Yeah. Uh, when she made her vows to um, the Archbishop of Philadelphia, Charles Chaput, uh, but to the Lord yes. under his... Um, and she dressed as a... She was dressed as a bride. Dressed as she a beautiful was bride. absolutely beautiful. And she walked up to the altar with... With an oil lamp. An oil lamp. Burning. Yeah. Whoop, yeah. whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> so just to, just to answer that, you know, practical side of the question, you know, when the vows are made, it is an, an official, beautiful consecration in the church under your bishop. Yeah. I'll add just one more thought there, that consecrated virginity is a proclamation to the whole world that there's more than just this world. And a world that is hell-bent on convincing us this is all there is doesn't like that message. 
but it's an absolutely necessary message. Uh, St. Paul says it so clearly, if, if this world is all there is, if there's no resurrection, if there's no other side, then, then go indulge in all the pleasures of the world because tomorrow you die. If this is all you get, mm. eat, drink, be merry, gorge, binge, have as much sex as you want. Why wouldn't you if this world is all there is? Mm. But if this world is just a shadow of another world, then the goal of our lives in this world is to learn how to aim our desire for fulfillment towards real fulfillment. And then we don't come to reject the things of this world. We don't reject the pleasures of this life. God made them all. But he didn't make them as our ultimate fulfillment. He made them as signs of our ultimate fulfillment. We only get in trouble with the pleasures of this world when we treat the icon that they are. That's what they are. They're icons. That means a sign of something more, something beyond. We only get in trouble with the pleasures of this world when we treat the icons as idols when we expect the pleasures of this world to be our ultimate fulfillment. So to, to loop this back around, the consecrated virgin is not saying sex is bad and I want to be holy, therefore I'm going to reject all that and, and live the spiritual life cut off from the things of this world. She's saying, no, I'm opening my very body to transcendence. I'm opening my whole body-soul mystery as a woman to the eternal bridegroom. And I become in that way a sign that this world is not all there is. There really is another world, and it is worth selling everything to possess. Awesome. So this question is from a listener named Erica. Hey, Erica. Erica begins by saying, thank you for all the work you've done to present John Paul II's beautiful theology of the body. So You're welcome, Erica. It is our joy, yeah. really. She asks, have you ever been challenged to explain nope. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to explain the truths within theology of the body without using a religious or biblical perspective? Is that even possible? She says, I'm desperate for non-biblical and non-religious resources that would still point to these truths of the yeah. church teaching. Yeah. So this brings up the whole conversation of the relationship between philosophy and theology, which mm -hmm. I love, and I'm happy to address this question. I'll cut to the chase and give kind of a, a bottom line answer mm -hmm. uh, first, which is you can't get all that the theology of the body teaches without biblical revelation, because it's precisely a theology. Mm -hmm. But all sound theology starts with sound philosophy. Mm. And we see this in the very unfolding of John Paul II's career. His His work that preceded and really laid the foundation for his theology of the body is his book, Love and Responsibility, which you could rightly call a philosophy of the body. Mm -hmm. And that means it's a look at human relationships, it's a look at human sexuality, at our being male and female, uh, and examining deep, deep questions about the human heart, about the longing for love, about the sexual embrace, about its meaning, without any appeal to Scripture directly. That, that's really amazing that the first answer actually is written by Pope John yeah. Paul II himself. Yeah, so I would urge Erica to, to immerse yourself, Erica, in John Paul II's book, Love and Responsibility. And if you find it hard to digest, 
It is very scholarly. There are helps out there. I'd recommend Ted Sree's book, uh, Man, Woman, and the Divine Plan of Love, I think it's called. We can put a link to it. Uh, that would be a starting point for uh, beginning to unfold John Paul II's teaching in love and responsibility. And it is an appeal just to human experience, mm-hmm. the way we experience life, desire, love, relationships, our sexuality. Uh, so illuminating. I read that uh, after I first read Theology of the Body. I read Love and Responsibility uh, maybe I think I picked it up right after. It was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. How does this man know so much about the human heart? Because he's a student of the human heart. And when you go, when you have that foundation that comes in his book, Love and Responsibility, and you want to go deeper, then Theology of the Body brilliantly builds on that and takes mm-hmm. you to another, another level. Mm-hmm. I think that's excellent. If I could, if I could make the link just from that passageway from philosophy to theology, uh, why, why we need to keep going. Why, why is philosophy not enough? Philosophy brings you right to the edge of needing to know who is this God who I have come to believe exists through philosophy. Human reason reasonably and rightly concludes that God exists. But philosophy in and of itself cannot answer the question, who is God? We can know that God exists, we can know certain things about God, but the only way we can know God, because God is God, we can't extend a ladder up to the infinite to to see Him. The only way we could possibly know who God is, is if He came down to our level to reveal Himself. And that's the bold proclamation of Christianity. If if religion in general is man's search for God, Christianity is God's search for us. And and philosophically, if you go back to Plato, uh, especially Plato, but somewhat in Aristotle, there's this notion that in order to reach God, you have to shed your skin. You have to Finally, death is the separation of the soul from the body. That makes sense when all you're working with is your own reason, because reason itself could not have in its wildest imaginings conceived of the idea that that infinite eternal God would actually take on our flesh to reach us. So we have this general sense which is based on our own ability to try to kind of figure things out, that to reach God, we have to divorce ourselves ultimately from our bodies. Christianity is the exact opposite movement. It's God taking on a body to reach us. I love that. And that's where philosophy and theology meet. Uh, So follow through in philosophy the whole way, and it will take you to this threshold where we pass over into the realm of faith, which is in no way a negation of reason. Rather, faith and reason, John Paul II says, are the two wings that lift us to the heights. We, we, we need both. We need both. And having both helps us to understand, as we always want our listeners to understand, what it means to be human. And to be human is to be a gift, which is what every human being is, everyone out there, you guys listening to us right now, 
we always want you to know you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.